We at the Beer History Podcast are not experts. To the best of our knowledge, all the facts presented in this episode are accurate at the time of this recording. You're listening to the Beer History Podcast, hosted by David Tataro and Dennis Abdelhamid. Today's guest, Andrea Newburn. And now, here are the hosts of the Beer History Podcast, David Tataro and Dennis Abdelhamid. Hello, everybody. We are back with another episode of the Beer History Podcast. I'm your host, as always, David, the Samurai of Sicily Tataro. And with me is my trusty steed, Dennis, the panda whisperer, <laughs> Abdelhamid. He's very gentle. I whisper to pandas. Apparently. He whispers to pandas. Right. Today we'll be reviewing the history of beer in Japan. So this will be very exciting. We have a special guest, uh, Andrea Newburn, who uh, has an interest in Japan. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I'm half Japanese, so I can give you at least half of an accurate opinion. <laughs> Don't take half of what she says seriously. Yeah. What, uh, hey, that's actually, all we asked for. What is the, I want to see your shirt, the shirt you're wearing. It says ramen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was going to wear my uh, whole kimono, but I just... Oh, my gosh. I didn't have time. Whole kimono angry. Whole <laughs> 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 kimono smash. <laughs> do you really have a full, like a full kimono? Yeah. Like, what do you use it's it for? It's so legit that uh, it was given to me. Oh, and cool. I've worn it one time when I was 14, but there's like a whole process, like can take a really long time to wear it. So, and I don't know anyone but just, who can help me. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't just put uh, it on well, yourself. Well, I YouTubed it, but. Uh, wow, really? Yeah. That's crazy. And you <laughs> still fit in it from when you were 14? Yeah, because it was way too big for me then. It was for like. Oh, nice. That worked out perfect. Yeah, I want to wear it again. Well, when's the last time you you haven't worn it since you were 14? Mm-hmm. No. I have to oh. show it. I'll have to show you some pictures. Mm. I don't know if that really made any sense. Dennis. It's a flashback. She's yeah. going to tell us about it. <laughs> this one time. I feel like Dennis is just like, any second. <laughs> All right, this works. Insert here. <laughs> so uh, you, what's your like uh, your interest in beer? Why don't you talk about that? Oh, <laughs> beer. It's actually a little bit of an obsession for me. Um, but I really... Oh, Yeah. <laughs> We'll hear it for real in a minute. Yeah. And um, I've actually had lots of Japanese beers. Well, the ones that are like available to us. Yeah. Very easily in the U.S. Uh, And I had them early on, probably before I was legally allowed to have any, just to taste them. I bet you probably legal in Japan. You're at their legal age, maybe. Yeah. But um, I like craft beer the most. I really, really love, oh, man, Hefenweizen's. Yeah. Ales mostly, yeah. but I drink anything that's not tied down. So yeah, uh, Andrea is huge into beer, and her passion oh, for it is like very few people I know. When she's pouring the beer and drinking it, mm. she just—I mean, Andrea's the type of person that enjoys things. Yeah, I like the label. I like the can. <laughs> Heck I yeah! I like the names. I like the smells and the cute glasses you can drink them out of. <laughs> oh, and the taste. That's good, too. That's important. <laughs> well, and that's why I was excited to have you on this episode, because you kind of fit the whole gamut of what I'm looking for here as a guest. Only problem is, is I like it so much that I rarely have a beer that I don't, you know what I mean, that I don't I, like. I don't know. I'm the same way. I mean, even, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of nationally popular beers in different countries are not particularly exciting, 
but the culture behind the beer and, and the history behind the beer, especially now after doing all this research for this episode, it's going to oh, make me man. like Japanese beer even more than I did before. I can only imagine because they're already such a like cultural culture. They are. <laughs> That's the way to say that. Yeah. So, so actually, it's funny you say that we uh, or I have been listening to uh, Hardcore History mm-hmm. uh, by Dan Carlin. Have you ever heard of that show? Mm-hmm. It's a podcast. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. It's it's very long. Like the episodes are like over four hours. Oh, nice. But he does series. Mm-hmm. It's like a documentary almost, mm-hmm. but uh, his personality really goes into it. And he's just like, he knows a lot. And, you know, he's intense. It's so great to listen to. And it's hardcore history because he gets into the details, like yeah. the, the details that maybe not everybody would even want to listen to, you mm-hmm. know. But um, anyway, what he says on the show throughout the series, uh, the, the series on Japan that he did uh, – uh, which, by the way, uh, do I have – oh, yeah, Supernova in the East. That's what it's called. You guys should definitely check it out. Really good. I think episode 62 is the first one of that series. He's He's got a few episodes. But uh, he always says uh, that, you know, the Japanese culture is really not that different from other cultures in uh, a lot of respects. But what makes them unique is that they're just way more intense with mm-hmm. how they do everything. Mm-hmm. So his phrase that he says the whole time, I'm going to do it in my best Dan Carlin voice. He goes uh, – um, he goes, the Japanese are like everybody else, only more so. <laughs> but he <laughs> says it. it. I love it, too. He says it throughout the whole series. That's great. But they are. They really are. They're just a very intense culture, and they're mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, over the top with quality and with, you know, mm-hmm. process and just everything is important. Every detail is important. Yeah, yeah. Food. And, I mean, just all, all yeah, sorts of things. I love it. But that's why I'm so interested to hear about this and, like um, – they're you know they do really strange things too like yeah. you know like teriyaki flavored kit kats you know so yeah like, yeah yeah i don't know much about their craft beer scene um but i figure if they have one i don't know i'm like it's well we'll get into be, it yeah, yeah it's either gonna be really like you know within these strict guidelines and so um i don't know i feel yeah. like it's gonna be one extreme or the other so we'll get to it yeah wasabi flavored craft beer be <laughs> awesome. so we're gonna go back Way before craft beer was a thing in Japanese history. In fact, we gotta go back. We're gonna go back. We're gonna go back before beer was a thing. So Japan, I know Japan is a very old culture. You know, on the third day, God created beer. <laughs> well, not in Japan. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, uh, you know, if you look at the, where I'm gonna be doing another episode on ancient beers, and beer goes back, you know, to the third day. Way, I mean, over ten thousand years. Yeah, uh, but in Japan, it's only been a thing since like the 1800s oh wow yeah which is nuts but we're not starting then we're going to start in the 1600s uh because i think to really understand why beer uh culture in japan is the way it is today Mm -hmm. you have to go back Mm -hmm. that far and you have to understand what happened to the country of japan to get to the point that they're at now so um anyway 1603 uh which was like the beginning of the edo period Mm -hmm. right by the way uh for any listeners who are japanese Forgive me for my horrible pronunciations. I'm going to try my best. That was good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the Tokugawa was uh, the the government at the time, which is basically like a military dictatorship, right? And uh, they were hardcore. Yeah. Um, and up until that point, there were all kinds of wars. The 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 country itself was um, in all kinds of civil war. They were sort of like tribal, and they got to a point where um, they realized that to protect themselves from the outside world they needed to unite japan needed to unite and they did and uh this uh the tokugawa the shoguns 
they they closed off their borders for the most part to the outside world. So they were like, we don't want people coming in. Mm-hmm. We don't want uh, people going out. We don't care about your culture. And even as far as trade went, they they just whittled it mm-hmm. down to like very few countries. So at first it was like Portugal they would do trade with and, uh, and the Dutch mm-hmm. and China. And bork, bork, bork. <laughs> We're not north, far enough north for bork, bork, bork. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, anyway... Uh, they they allowed they actually allowed the Portuguese and the Dutch in the country to do trade. No one else could. Mm-hmm. And after a pretty short period of time, uh, they they started getting like the feeling that uh, that the Portuguese were colluding with the Christian rebels, right? Mm-hmm. And they did not like Christianity at all yeah. because the Japanese at the time were like, uh, you know, the emperor is a god, mm-hmm. and we don't want anyone competing with that. So they were like, uh, you know, get Take out of here, Portugal. Out. Yeah, you're gone. And uh, and they. They they actually made this like uh, this man made island in uh, uh, Hiroshima, right? Mm-hmm. And what they did, they had a peninsula and they just like dug this giant trench at the end, and they were like, okay, this is the island. It was like two acres. Uh, it was called uh, what was it called um, Deshima? So they they basically shoved the Dutch on that island. It was two acres, right? So we're talking like I mean, this, my house is on like a half mm-hmm. acre, so four of my house's properties. It's a gentle brag right a humble brag <laughs> yeah my house is on we live almost in, two acres we live in florida people have much bigger lots than that everything's bigger in florida i'm an agriculture major so pretty sure yeah right an acre looks oh my like. gosh i'm sure you've lived on much bigger properties yes. than half an acre a good um description is um a football field without the end zones oh is that what if you ever it, need to visualize that's about an acre yeah oh okay yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. So, oh, so I'm like Fun on half fact a football that field. Has nothing to do with Whoa, the tables have been churned. Visual aids are important. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so you you know we're talking like less than two dozen people living in this mm. little town, mm-hmm. basically of Dutch people, and a bunch of Japanese people also living on the island. I mean, they were like monitored. There was only mm-hmm. one way in and out. They only got a handful of shipments a year. But the influence that the Dutch had on Japanese culture for the next like 200 plus years, which is how long. They had their borders closed. Was uh, was pretty important, right? They called it uh, Sakoku, which was like the J- Japanese isolation policy. Okay. Okay. So um, eventually, uh, you know, the Dutch started bringing in beer because, like every other culture in the world besides Japan, beer was an important part of their culture. And mm-hmm. they were like, "How am I going to drink?" Right. Actually, I should stop myself right there because I planned on pouring a beer before this. And yeah, I think this is a good time. That. Yeah, we should do that. I'm really parched right now. We have, uh, you know, uh, for most of the Japanese beer brewing history, there's only been like five major breweries. And one of them, which you don't see a lot around here. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Orion. I actually don't think I have. No, I, I've actually never even had it this before. Is so here, what do you see around here as far as Japanese beer goes? Oh, Sapporo. That's a big one. Uh, Kiren Ichiban. Yep, that's a big and one. And Asahi. Yep, those are basically the big three that we get in the U.S. Okay, that sounded like you just made stuff up. <laughs> I love Asahi. I mean, no offense. It's not like it tastes that great. I mean, it's no, a good beer. Yeah, it's not like it's bad. I'm just saying it's not like it's. I like it because it tastes the best of the three. But um, I do know, and I learned this at a very young age. That that means uh, morning sun, and I like it because it's you. May, you may not like this as much as me, David, but they have like this belief, you know, that every day is a new day to start over. And oh, is that why they? Yeah. That's probably so. That's why they named the beer that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so that's sweet. cool. It, it's uh, it. that's actually the 
the number one most popular beer no in way. Japan. No way. I thought it would be Sapporo. Asahi, yeah. Now, for Sapporo, I have only had, um, like, I don't know, their normal, you know, silver can. I think there's a black one. I would love to try that. And uh, and then any of these nitrogenated would be amazing, too. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> I've seen that black one. Can uh, we please do a Japanese toast? And I told oh, you yeah, that word yeah. years ago. Do you happen to remember? Well, that, this is this is for we have a production crew member that would be very sad if we didn't give her drinking on the job is encouraged. The Japanese. Mm. <sighs> See, now Hold this on. makes me want to go have some is it, Japanese it's, cuisine. It's, it's not bonsai. Nope. I mean that that was in Karate Kid. That works, but... Yeah, I know that's <laughs> literally what I was mimicking when I. Did it kind of rhymes with that. What, what what was it? I can't remember. Kanpai. Ah. Yeah. I did know that. All right, Andrea, do it for us. Okay. Kanpai. Kanpai. <laughs> Sorry for those of you not watching on YouTube and listening. You have to just listen to us drink. Oh, this is really good. I like it. Now, Orion is like, they're one of the, <laughs> thank you for that. Bravo. <laughs> Very clear. They're, uh, <laughs> they're one of the top five uh, major breweries in Japan, but they're the smallest of the five. And they only, they only cover like, I think two percent of the beer market, hmm. and then you got like Asahi, who's like uh, in the thirties or something yeah. like that. So they're they're relatively small, but look at that label, man! It's really cool, man. It's like retro. It lo- yeah, that's why I like it. It literally looks like something that your grandpa, you know, brought I love back. It. Hold on, from think. the war. I don't know if this will be in focus. <laughs> I love that. that. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, your grandpa brought back from the war. Yeah, yes. it, it kind of does. So that's very nice. <gasps> From Okinawa? Yeah, it's from Okinawa, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Makes it even better. <laughs> well, anyway, so the Dutch really sort of, like, ingrained their culture into Japanese culture. And it was uh, less their culture and more their advancements and achievements mm-hmm. and things like that regarding science and technology. Because you got to think, like, you got this country that's an island. They're at the edge of the world, right? Nobody is going in. Nobody's going out except for the Dutch. And uh, I, I think the Chinese had some limited trade as well, um, which I didn't read too much about that because that didn't have anything to do with beer. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, so, you know, they, they, they didn't have any way of, of uh, expanding their technology other than from within their own bounds, other than these books and, you know, uh, things like that that they would get from the Dutch. So um, uh, in like 1853, uh, finally, there was, there was beer – available to a very limited number of Japanese people. There was a guy named uh, um, Kawamoto Komen, uh, which I just learned this. I'm sure you already know. They're, they do last name first and first oh, name yeah. last, right, in Japanese. So Komen, was, I guess, is like what we would call his surname. Mm-hmm. Surname. That sounds fancier. His surname is Kawamoto. Anyway, uh, they call him the father of chemistry because he was a scholar, he was a doctor, he was a scientist, and he took a lot of these Dutch texts and he read them, translated them, and and uh, and like brought a lot of that technology um, to uh, Japan. But they also call him the father of beer because he had an interest, a huge interest, when he started reading in one of these Dutch books about uh, you know beer and what it was and how it was made. So he went and found like wild hops that was growing in Japan, which is is crazy because they actually had it this whole time and they just didn't realize it. Uh, he takes this hops uh, and he follows through these recipes that he's reading these Dutch books and he brews Japan's first Japanese made beer. 
And uh, um, it's crazy. We're talking the 1800s. This culture. How old is Japan? I mean, it should be a movie. Yeah, it should be a movie. I would watch it. Had they had? I mean, had they had beer before though? You think? No, no, they hadn't had beer. Even I mean, maybe from there might have been. I mean, I did a lot of research on this island, uh, Deshima, and everything that I read was kind of referencing the same few facts. Mm-hmm. So you could tell that there's not a whole lot of recorded facts about what was happening regarding beer on that island with Mm. the Dutch. So I didn't see a single thing saying that they exported it out to Japan at all. And I think it was only imported. I couldn't find anybody saying that it was brewed there. And I I saw one reference that said uh, they had a beer hall. Beer halls were like bars back then, basically during that time period. And, uh, but it was only one reference. I'm not even completely convinced that was the case. Um, But it seems like it was really all just the Dutch drinking that beer. That's it. Yeah. So it sucks for the Japanese at the time. But, right, so we got this guy who all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, brings this out and, you know, he's he's able to mimic these recipes. And and there's a, several accounts about it, too. So it made enough of an imprint that multiple people recorded, you know, like uh, how it was really good. And he actually uh, uh, fed it to some of the Dutch settlers and stuff like that. And, you know, they were impressed by it, I guess. If we had that time machine, we're all saving up for. Go back. That would be saving awesome. up for. Not developing. We're saving up. It's, like it's Napole- on eBay. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Leave it up to the smart people to come up with time travel. We'll just pay for it. That's right, yeah. The next it makes good sense. So uh, so I actually went on Kieran's website um, because they have uh, – I like their label too. They, I do too. All the like all Dude, all their labels are great in Japan. They're very uh, minimalist, you know? Yeah, they're um, but they're nice. they're awesome though. Yeah. There's like the there's you know there's symbology and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Well, anyway, the Kieran website was in Japanese, so I translated it. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, tra- I translated a lot of I went on a lot of Japanese websites and translated stuff, and yeah. some of it I was like, it's pretty funny, I don't know right? what the heck I just read. Yeah, this was came out pretty good. So uh, this is talking about uh, uh, Komen uh, Kawamoto. It says um, he had written that he wrote a book called. Uh, Kagaku Shinsho, and it was uh, him dis- in this book. He described how to make beer based on what he learned from these Dutch texts. So it says this Kagaku Shinsho describes how to brew beer. For example, this is so interesting to me. This is the, this is the 1800s. Okay, uh, for example, the upper foam brewing method and the lower foam brewing method. What does that sound like? That sounds like lagers and ales Mm. top fermenting bottom fermenting Mm -hmm. uh so he's describing this specifically describes methods such as different fermentation temperatures preparation times and storage periods the upper foam brewing method is the top fermentation method used for brewing british ales and the lower foam method was still in its infancy at the time and the bottom fermentation method used for brewing german style beer what's so cool about this is um the 1830s, the late 1830s, is when lagers were first developed in okay. Bavaria. It was not a thing anywhere. And although I did read something that they might have been brewing lagers in South America or something like that, just nobody realized it. But um, anyway, you've got this this world of beer all over the place where everybody's been brewing ales since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. That's the only type of beer that anybody's been brewing. All different kinds of ales, but ales. And... Japan, right at the time where lagers become a thing in Germany, just happened to get this book with this cutting edge technology. And from the get go, they have both lagers and ales. I mean, they're the only culture probably that had that weird circumstance, you know, presented to them. And they like clung to lagers like crazy right off the bat, which is 
weird because lagers are a lot more difficult to brew. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's to this day, lagers are like the big thing in Japan, and they like them like ice cold too. I know, and that was the one you just served up. It was. I should, I tried to leave them out for a little bit to like. I actually, it honestly, this does actually drink way better ice cold i think mm. but you know gone. you know how many Been beers gone. you don't want your beer ice cold typically if, especially <clears throat> if it's an ale you know because you're going to lose a lot of that flavor but yeah. this is super good it's amazing it's incredible i'm talking too much that you guys are drinking all your beer well, and your i'm not glass drinking mine too i know i you don't know why i did that that was stingy of me your it glass was. is I bigger mean, than mine i thought i was the guest but yeah. i apologize <laughs> all right i'm actually <laughs> feeling bad now no but I, i'm oh. gonna have to pour another beer really soon so i'm actually gonna i think we should just cut real quick chug, and then, chug, chug, and then chug, chug, chug. we'll be back in about one second uh, one second for you <laughs> i drink this beer i love that so much i can't do it. i can't do it like dude that guy's amazing So we've got uh, um, Coleman makes this beer in 1853, and by chance, at the exact same year, um, <clears throat> there was a man named uh, he was Commodore Matthew Perry, who was uh, an American Commodore. Was he a Commodore 64? <laughs> he was not a Commodore 64, oh, okay. and also he was not Chandler Bing because that's the actor Matthew Perry. <laughs> but uh, I've read so many articles about this guy, and nobody mentioned the Friends connection. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I guess the, they're serious scholars as opposed yeah, to me. And I'm thinking Commodores, like you oh, know, like the, the band. Heck yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh, my wife loves the Commodores. So uh, up until this point, um, we're in the mid 1800s. Since 1603, Japan's basically been closed, right? So uh, there were a lot of other countries who had a big interest in in opening Japan up, and uh, for trade and other reasons, and uh, probably to exploit them. Honestly, a lot of them. Mm. Um, so the U.S. was one of these because, of course, the U.S. had a clear shot to them over the Pacific. So uh, they had make, made a few attempts to try to get into the Japanese port and convince them to open their borders. And what they did was they took like some, uh, if I remember right, they took some shipwrecked Japanese sailors. They brought them over. Mm. And I guess there was this sort of like treaty amongst all the major world powers at the time. Because now in the 1800s, this was the one of the first times in history where probably the first time in history where all these major countries across the whole globe could communicate and have these sort of relationships that they didn't have before. And uh, shipwrecked sailors was a topic and they were like, Oh, well, if my sailor gets shipwrecked on your shores, you take care of them, get them back to us. And mm-hmm. we do the same for you. And hey, that kind I'm going to make you a deal. If you <laughs> then never mind. <laughs> <laughs> was that supposed to be Italian? If, if your sailors get shipwrecked. I'll take care of them. Don't worry. <laughs> that sounds very piratey. Pi- was that supposed to be a pirate? Uh, I think it was an Italian pirate. Italian <laughs> He was a Roman pilot. Hold on, Tom. Dennis's terrible accent. No, I'm going to open our next beer. Um, okay, so I've never had this before, nor have I ever seen oh, this. Oh, exciting, and I still can't see the label. I like the li- the. It's a cool label. It's so cute. Oh, yeah. It's a little barley and hops. I didn't see the cap of the Orion. Oh, you want to see it? Again? Yes, I would like to. Enjoy. I love the cap, actually. So I like nice. the colors too. So <gasps> for your happy time. <laughs> see what I mean? <laughs> the things that make you happy are so, so funny. Awesome. For I'm already your like, happy time. Will it make earrings? I don't know. I might make a necklace out of that. Or <laughs> so, uh, and that's on every bottle of Orion beer. Yeah. So this is called. Uh, hold on, I got to read it to make sure I pronounce it right. Koshi Hikari. Koshi Hikari. 
Echigo beer. How do you? Pr- how would you say you pronounce this? I've never seen E C H. Put me on the spot. Put you on the spot. Try it. Try that. I've never seen that with Japanese. Yeah, writing. that is uh, kind of an odd. Be- and see, beer is not a word. Biru. Biru. Yeah. Biru. It's such an easy one to say. Yeah. Ko, koshihikikari echigo, I guess. But yeah, that sounds more like a Western. Latin language or something. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, pretty cool. You put the label in front of me, so now I have to look at that. I know. It's cool. It's like a watercolor painting. Yeah. So Very classy. Uh, yeah. So I'm pretty, I mean, there's a bunch of, it looks like they're in rice patties. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming this is a rice beer. Oh, exciting. Trying to see if the, I don't know if the camera will pick it up. So, all right, all right, let's try it. Dang it. I almost brought an empty can. I'm having way more trouble than I should opening this. Of, um, but it wouldn't be Japanese. It's a British beer. One of the Iron Maiden beers. Oh, made, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they made the sake beer. And it was amazing. Was and it really got, good? It's got Eddie, their mascot, Fernie. For any metalheads out there. And they brew They um, brew Their mascot, he's in a samurai outfit. And these times we're talking about with, well, the the Edo period, that would be samurai times, right? But probably not the 1800s. I, well, I think, I don't know. I, I don't want to answer that question because I'm not 100% sure. But See? I know here, you take the rest. Yeah. Don't mind if <laughs> Since I Since I'm, I'm the talker. Is it good? Thank you so much. Tomo arigato gozaimashita. How do, I say how do I say you're welcome? Doistashmaista. It's kind of a hard one. Maista. Is that bad? Not bad? I'm not going to remember it, but Ooh, this is good. I like this a lot better I than the Hawaiian. I haven't had it yet. No, I'm so excited. So rice, as I'm sure a lot of listeners know, is uh, a common adjunct, oh, wow. adjunct in cheaper beers. But when used as a legitimate ingredient, uh, it gives you a sweet flavor. And that's what I was going to say. It tastes sweet to me. Yeah, and I don't know what the grain bill is on this, but it, if it's 100% rice, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, it doesn't say, I don't think, but... Um, wow. You know, you're going to get... When it's used as an adjunct, it's usually just kind of a filler along with barley. This is from Niigata, Japan. Ni- this is very Niigata. good. It's clean. Very nice. So you see his stripes, then you know he's clean. clean. Yes, <laughs> Dennis. It's like right, one of my favorites. Stop. That's like one of my all-time favorite songs. So I don't even. Was it? Let me guess. I'm gonna just guess. I don't know what it was. Is it Tenacious D? <laughs> Dang it. Well, they cover it. I know how much you like so Tenacious D. Give him like half a point. They cover it. It's Ronnie James Dio, and it was in the Pick of Destiny. So uh, that's what I think you were going down that road. So. Which is weird because I never even saw the Pick of Destiny. Oh, yeah. We're going to watch that. Oh, I thought you were going to get mad at that. Let's get back to happy. I know. What is it? Let's go back to our happy times. Our happy. What does it say again on there? For your happy times. Yes. Yes. Thank you, beer. You're fixing, <laughs> fixing a dire situation. So it's funny. I feel like. 15 minutes ago, I mentioned Commodore Matthew Perry, and I still have not even said I'm what he sorry. did. So it's not your fault. Well, <laughs> it's we kind of Dennis ta- was the one that derailed tangent, us, I think. Tangent issues. <laughs> I have major tangent issues. <laughs> so that's an ongoing theme in every episode. <laughs> so anyway, um, so uh, Commodore Perry comes to uh, Japan after failed attempts. So basically, these other attempts, they're like, oh, we got your mm-hmm. guys. You want them back? Because huh? I guess Japan had treated shipwrecks uh shipwreckers people who were in shipwrecks uh shipwreck sailors is that a new profession that people do shipwreckers uh i'm signing up to be a shipwrecker (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like Wreck It Ralph on a boat. <laughs> I'm gonna wreck it. <laughs> well, anyway, they uh, they were. I guess Japan had grossly mistreated American ship- shipwrecked soldiers in the past. So they I were like, hey, that. that's not cool. Why don't we be friends? And maybe, you know, we Why can talk about be friends? communicating. <laughs> Why can't we We're doing be karaoke friends? after this. I can tell it. <laughs> so uh, basically every... Karaoke. What? That's Japanese. Oh, I've never we thought about that. We it. Okay, next. <laughs> Yay! So, There's someone theme there. <laughs> they, um... Anyway, the, you guys are making this so much worse. I'm already going off on tangents every two seconds. So, uh, uh, looking at the camera, I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone listening. Um, these shipwreck sailors, they would bring them to Japan. They would try to, like, plead with them to, mm-hmm. to talk. Everybody else is doing it. We're all friends, the whole world. And Japan literally was just like, go away. Mm. Nope, you can't talk to us. We don't want to talk to you. Don't come back. Don't care about our shipwreckers. Take a hike, buddy. Right? Yeah. So, uh, 1853, Matthew Perry comes with... Uh, four ships and this time uh, Dan Carlin talks about it in the podcast he he's like these were four ships that are like heavily armed and even though they've they've had this influence through the Dutch Japan is like dude they're like 200 years in the past still I mean they're using spears and swords they're you know body armor I mean it's a it's a feudal society especially when you compare it to where everybody else was had having already gone through the industrial revolution in the 1800s. Mm. So they see these warships mm. approach, right? They got guns, they got all kinds of crazy stuff and the Japanese are just like oh crap, this is no joke. Like these people can absolutely destroy us if they want to. And they knew it. And even though Japan had that culture of, you know, no surrender and mm-hmm. and they've and that's how they've been oh, for mercy. for a long time. Uh, they're they're also smart enough to know like we got to get with the times. We need to get what they've got uh, and be able to work with this. So I guess they made the they reluctantly made the decision when Perry approached them. He spoke to the emperor, uh, who by the way was more of a puppet at the time. So the Tokugawa were still in in power, and uh, the emperor was sort of like I don't I don't want to make it sound like the Queen of England has no yeah. It's just uh, that's what I've always heard. Thing. I don't upset any British people. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean though. I, isn't I'm, that isn't that how it is in, yeah. in the UK? Just sort Dennis? of like a figurehead, right? Like a figurehead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yeah. So they um, uh, they were like, okay, we're yeah, yeah, we're, we're willing to talk. So they're like, instead of having this happen by force, let's do it. Uh, you know, let's cooperate yeah. and and try to benefit off of having these new relationships. So for the first time in 200 something years, they were like, all right, uh, we're opening our doors to trade. And it was a gradual process. So I have it on here. Uh, let's see. They did the, uh, the treaty of Kanagawa in 1854 and then the Harris treaty in 1858. I think those are two of the, the key, um, treaties that, that allowed trade and allowed, uh, foreigners to come into their country. And I think they kind of focused in sort of one area for a long time, but then eventually you had foreigners all over. Um, and, uh, this completely was, this is the beginning of the end for the Tokugawa. They, they, uh, uh, fell apart shortly after, I think maybe only like 10, 15 years later. And then the emperor actually was in power again. They call it the, how do you say this? Is that Maiji or Meiji? Meiji? Meiji Meiji restoration. Anyone who's a scholar, I know this is a, like an actual. Meiji. This is a major. Meiji. It's a major part in uh, Japanese history, and I know like anybody who know, is familiar with it is probably like, Wrong. how does he not know how to say this? But anyway, uh, 
and when that happened though, so that was in 1868, uh, the whole culture of Japan just changed like crazy. Mm -hmm. And it was partially because of this change in government, but it was also partially because of all of these influences mm -hmm. from the outside world that they did, didn't have for, for such a long time. So what they did was they were the, the Japanese, right? They're clever. So they were like, we are going to send out, uh, Japanese ambassadors to all the countries of the world, the major countries, and we're going to find out what exactly is it that they do that they do better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to just do what they do and we'll be the best at everything. Nice. So, and then that's exactly what they did. And they did it down to, it wasn't just military, you know, related, it was anything. Mm -hmm. So manufacturing and uh, uh, brewing. I was going to so, say brewing, baby. And you'll, you know, you'll never guess where they, uh, where they found uh, the best brewing at the time. Can you guess? What year? This oh, was, gosh. So this I, was, as if that's going to help me at all. The late, this is in the late 1800s. <laughs> Germany. Mm -hmm. Dennis? <laughs> Norway. No, it was, it was Germany. It was more obvious than... Yeah. I can't believe I got that right. <laughs> I was so afraid I was going I mean, seriously, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a major option, right? German beer. I know, but... Yeah, I but you're like, beer. I don't know where the Germans really were with beer. Remember the Germans, beer. they've been brewing beer for ages yeah. at this point, right? And they're so, damn good at it. Yes, and they were experts when this happened. So mm -hmm. once again, I'm the only one with beer left. Mm -hmm. Dennis, I'm impressed. I know. Dennis is usually the he slowest. He has an affinity for Asian beers. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese specifically. Yeah. Um, yes, it was the Germans. So they sent uh, nice. they sent uh, a man named uh, Seibai Nakagawa to Germany to learn the brewing trade. He comes back and they actually established uh, a brewery in 1876, which today is Sapporo. And it was government run. So uh, now before... Uh, Sapporo, it wasn't called Sapporo uh, originally, uh, but before that brewery was established, uh, Kieran actually established the first brewery. But I shouldn't say it like that because that isn't exactly how it happened. Uh, there was actually an American, uh, his name was William Copeland. He came to Japan. Now we're at a point in Japan, you know, a couple decades after they opened up where people were allowed in the country, mm -hmm. people were allowed to, you know, uh, Influence. live there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and he's like, we have so many foreign uh, traders coming into the country. They're all beer drinkers, right? Every other country but Japan. So why don't I open up a brewery to to cater to all these guys? It was a business opportunity. So it was called Spring Valley Brewery. Uh, that was in 1869 or 1870. Uh, it, I saw conflicting info in from different sources. In Yokohama, yeah. So uh, he opens it up, oh, and that, that brewery eventually became Kieran in 1888. Oh. Yeah, so now you got Sapporo, you got Kieran, right? All these old breweries. Uh, and then uh, Asahi and mm -hmm. Suntory was the other one, which we'll talk about them in a minute. Yeah. I know you're saying no because... No, I don't know that one. You don't all. see it. You don't see it yeah. here. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, so time goes goes by, right? The 1800s roll through. Breweries get bigger and bigger. There's like triple-digit breweries in Japan at, at, at this point. And, uh, you know, the Japanese government at the time was very different than our government, right? Um, they had commercial businesses, but they really wanted to control um, competition for whatever reason. And they felt that there was too much competition. That, that was a problem. So in 1906, they were like, we're going to consolidate all these breweries. And they 
they like whittled breweries down to like just a few major breweries and that was it. And uh, I think even, I wish I wrote it down. Um, I want to say Sapporo and uh, Asahi were the same brewery for a little bit. Uh, that might be wrong. Dennis, <laughs> mind looking that up? I don't want to, I don't want people to, you know. It wouldn't surprise me, you know, they're, I mean, when, if you put, we should do, Maybe I've done a blind test. I don't know that I could have told you the differences, you know? Yeah. Maybe. I feel like Asahi's got a, it, I mean, it's, they call it Asahi dry. It, I feel like it does have mm-hmm. a drier kind of flavor to it. That would have been, dang it. That would have been a good idea. I should have done that. Another time. Another time. Yeah. You uh, have more podcasts that you could totally do that. That's with, true. Sure. <laughs> so one of them, I think, I want to say Sapporo was originally called Japan Brewing Company. I think. Super original. So, um, Anyway, in 1908, just a couple of years later, they passed some crazy tax law. And they were like, mm-hmm. I guess they were like, okay, we consolidated, but we, we want to make it even harder for small breweries to even exist. We just yeah. want there to be a few big ones, and that's it. So they passed a law where um, roughly, you know, converting the, the volume to gallons, it was like 50,000 gallons a year. If you can't make at least that much a year, you can't be a brewery. In Japan, so that was in, in 1908, shortly after they did this consolidation. So now it was like, even if you wanted to open a small brewery after that post consolidation, you you can't. Yeah. Did you find something? Uh, it says Asahi and Karen were merged with uh, Sapporo. How, how do you pronounce it again? Sapporo. Sapporo. Yeah. Oh, all three of them merged together. Yeah, 1906. Oh, crazy! Yeah. And they became uh, Dai Nippon Beer Company. Ooh. Did I say that right? Yeah, Nippon. Cool. That means Japan. Oh, does it? Again, super original name, really right? really simple, simple words. Maybe that's where Japan Brewery, that, maybe that's what I was reading. Mm. Yeah, well, and anyway, sense. of course, they all split again because they're now separate corporate businesses, okay. you know, commercial businesses. Uh, and Sapporo is no longer run by, I don't think it's run by the Japanese government. I don't know how I would have missed that in my <laughs> research, but I don't know. You never know. So that 50,000 gallons a year, uh, you know, after 1908 at some point, they jacked it up. I don't know if it was multiple times, but at the highest point, it was 500,000 gallons a year. Mm. So now you're like, I mean, macro brewery yeah. only, that's yeah. it. Um, they just killed any chance of having craft beer. Killed a lot of craft beer dreams. They did. That's but sad. in 1994, I don't know what happened, but they made the decision, the government made the decision to repeal that law completely. Nice. And for the first time in you know 80 years or however long it was, uh, anybody could open a brewery on, on a small scale. Um, well, anybody who could produce at least 15,000 gallons. So I guess they still had a, f- a floor, you know, for mm-hmm. what you could. Is that know, a lot? 15,000 gallons. I mean, it's, there's, let's put it this way. There's plenty of craft breweries who brew less than that, but, um, I don't know. I'm used to I dealing. I probably drink that in a year. I'm used to dealing in <laughs> barrels. Yeah. I gotta, I don't have to convert it. I think it's like 40, 40 something, 42 gallons is a barrel. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's actually pre- that's very small. Yeah, that's I feel small. like it is. I'm like I th- actually think I could probably drink that in a year. Yeah, <laughs> I could probably drink that I in think a year. Could. If you could drink it if in a year, then anyone wants the- to challenge me and give me fifteen thousand gallons of beer to drink for a year for free for free. P.S. If I fail, I still don't have yeah. to pay for it. And if I could pick the brewery, that would be really awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I will not a, name drop right now. Maybe a variety would be great. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's like. Wait, you a can few? name drop who? Man. Who would you pick? Uh, that Isla Morada Brewing oh, Company. Oh, yeah. Their, their uh, Sunset Ale, if they're listening, please. 
Keys. I would give anything, man. It is so good. <laughs> and then that Kolsch from uh, Florida. Yeah, the Giant Leap. Dude. That's the best beer they've made in years. Oh, it's one of the best beers I've ever had, and it's it's an issue, like I said, because I would drink eight. It's I cool mean, because it's... As a snack. It's got that kind of <laughs> citrusy flavor. Yeah, it's really good. Very refreshing. Kolsch's are a great, yeah. flavor, uh, great style to begin with. Tangent. So according to Wikipedia, a barrel so many can range between 26 to 53 U.S. gallons. 26 mm. to 53. Oh, it probably depends on the country, I bet. You know, it's funny. If you look at, like, kegs... Stop showing me the label. <laughs> there's different... Uh, there's, like, different... If you Depending on the source, you'll see, like, uh, barrels and kegs and all those different units of measurement. Um different interpretations of what they mean it's not doesn't seem very consistent. what does that mean cute oh, <laughs> it is cute. cute it's a little owl it's there. a cat, it's a cat. <laughs> all right so this is a cool one um this is cutie brewery and oh, they sweet. they actually predate all the other breweries that we've mentioned um but not as a brewery Ooh. The beer's getting darker too. It is getting darker. Like this it. is this is craft beer in Japan. Oh snap! So, um, mm, okay. Kyuchi used to be a they used to be a sake producer, and they God. went in 1994 when they opened up. Uh, you know, the limits, the beer, the brewery limits. Here, let me get that last little bit. Are you sure? I yeah. No, do it. You're, the, you're our special guest. Oh my gosh! It's good. I already had a sip. Sorry. Yeah. They uh, so anyway they they were like we want to get in on the beer market so this is an old sake manufacturer manu- producer um, and they started brewing and this beer right here actually hold on it's an ale brewed with red rice I have this uh, I like buying old beer related books this one's not that old I don't think this is uh cute the complete guide to beer by Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> now no by Robert Jackson and David Kenning. This is like, uh, I love looking at these books because you find the same information in different books, but the information changes based on the year. And, you know, if you're just talking about the past 20 years, even you see a huge difference. This one's 2008. So I actually saw this exact beer in this book. So, no way. yeah, they were brewing this in two, at least since 2008. Um, Hitachino hmm. Nest Red rice beer. So I think Nest is like a a, uh, a series that they do. A series. Um, what would you call that? Not a series. They've got several different varieties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one's actually made with rice. So it says, um, I'm, I, "This is it's a little bit long, but I I, I, I like the way that they describe it." Uh, the slightly hazy orangey color mm-hmm. comes from uh, comes not from the malts used, as you might expect, but from the use of red rice, which also gives the beer a crisp clean refreshing character with a slightly sweet edge like we were talking about earlier uh similar to sake and remember uh this brewery is was originally a sake Mm -hmm. producer they still do make sake uh there is also a delicate hint of bitter citrusy hops in the flavor the high alcohol content gives it a spicy mouth drying tang and a pleasant warmth in the finish the use of rice reflects the brewery's 1823 origins as a sake brewer Pretty cool. I love that. Yeah. So I haven't Very even tried nice. it yet. Let's Lots see. Lots to be proud of. I've seen this one for ages. Like I'll see it in Total Wine and I just oh, really? I haven't picked it up yet and this is my first time having it. Well. Well, they definitely don't sake. <laughs> hey Up top. 
<laughs> oh, wow. That's got a real different flavor than I was expecting. Yeah, this one has probably the strongest flavor, flavor. out of the, the Oh, for two. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Very it's got, crafty. <laughs> it's got like a, a very unique finish. Like the back, back of your tongue. Back. <laughs> I don't know why I bought when I said that. <laughs> mm. Really good. Yes. Um, I watched a couple documentaries on beer in Japan, and it's like, it's exploding, man. Since the since '94, it's it's really picked up speed, and uh, and basically, like a lot of that, it was really it's really neat watching. One of them was called, um, I think it's just called. I don't want to say it wrong. I think it's called Beer in Japan. I'm going to point up to the corner. That's where Dennis is going to put the real name if I got it wrong (laughs) in post-production. Wait a minute. No, I have it in my references. (laughs) Spend months on these notes and don't even refer to Mm -hmm. them. A craft beer in Japan. Dang it. That's okay. So close. How did I I get it wrong? Uh, (laughs) Lob, Rob Labreglio, he's a uh, um, not uh, Japanese. He's <laughs> he's the owner Clearly. of a, he's the owner of a brewery in the U.S. And what he did was okay. um, did I put that in here? Oh, I should name drop him. Uh, maybe I didn't. He um, basically he was like, I want to uh, wait. Nope, I didn't. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Apologize again. He uh, basically he was like, um, I want to explore this market because it's emerging in comparison to the U.S. I mean, it's a new thing. Uh, relatively. And so he did a whole 20, 24 minutes, 27 minutes or something. You can watch it on Amazon Prime Okay, uh, for free if you have Prime. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Um, and he visits all these different breweries and he talks to the brewmasters, talks to the owners, and they give you all this really cool input about what beer culture is like there compared to the U.S. And it's super different in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's actually similar in some ways too. They're, they're one of the countries that, um, you know, like the U.S., they're breaking into a market where ales are not really a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are here now, but they yeah, weren't when like craft you said, beer first they came like popular. Loggers. Yeah, and that's how it was in the mm-hmm. U.S. after the Great Depression. It was like nothing but loggers. I'm cool with so, loggers, Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, there's a lot more out there, right? So mm-hmm. uh, so you, you, you hear these different brewers and, and, and owners of these breweries talking about it in Japan, and it's just so interesting. That sort of seems like the mentality is we're – supposed to be this culture where we do do everything better more so yeah exa- yeah we're like everybody else i know to be the possibilities so. yeah so that's how a tangent that's how a lot of these people feel you know they're like mm-hmm. we're 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 brewing nothing but these lagers they're all the same so yeah. let's try to get some of actual japanese culture into our beer so like brewing with rice brewing with uh you know local herbs mm-hmm. whatever they've got mm-hmm. available and that's what a lot of these guys are doing really interesting cool stuff i'm thinking like some of their springs man if they could use some of it oh i'm sure a lot of them healing do. spring water yeah that would be awesome totally i would buy that yeah and it's like <laughs> i wish we had more options here japanese craft beer um, and that's kind of the one thing that stinks about craft beer in other countries is most Nothing of them don't about distribute. Craft beer. Well, <laughs> it stinks when you can't get it. That's yeah, what stinks. That is very true. They're all small, you know. Yeah. So um, right now they've got uh, at least the last, the latest reference I was able to find. There's over 300 microbreweries in Japan, which is tiny compared to the U.S. But yeah, and there's you know, lots of people there. I would just think. Per capita, you know. Well, There'd I mean, more breweries. they they had like nothing going on, uh, not even that long ago. I wrote it in here. I think at one point they only had four breweries in uh, like. Oh, I wrote it in here. Oh, here, yeah, nineteen ninety one, four breweries, and now they've got over three hundred. That's wow. 
that's awesome. I mean, we never we never got that low, even at our absolute worst. I think we're in the forties or something like that with yeah. the number of breweries that we had. Um, I mean, had I not been a kid at that time, that would be a great time to go over there and start. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Just, what a great way to like uh, make a living, right? And a lot of interesting in in that documentary, a lot of the breweries were are owned by uh, Americans. So well, a lot of them saw the opportunity yeah. early on and they were like, I'm just shocked because they just seem to really appreciate flavors and, you know, design totally. and crafting. So cuisine I just, is such a major part I know. of Japanese culture. I would culture. really think, great. um, I would, I just really surprised that's, this is what I've been hoping to get out of this, this whole time was finding out, you know, how much craft brewers they had over there, how much they liked it. And I just would think that that would be. It would be very popular, but it is no. It it, okay. it has gotten very popular, um, but you got to remember it's still in the early stages, so it takes a long time to spread. So the people who have gotten into it are into it big mm-hmm. time. They got that craft beer fever. Yeah, and the only prescription is more beer, more, beer. Yeah. <laughs> more, and more money to buy more beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just this is I thought pretty interesting. So like I mentioned before, you got Asahi, you got Kieran, you got Sapporo. And Suntory mm-hmm. and Orion. Now, Suntory, I bet you a lot of people listening are probably like, I've never seen that beer, but I know that name. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before. And it'll be people who are whiskey drinkers because they have mm-hmm. some major whiskeys that you get in the U.S. Uh, in fact, I had a whiskey tasting not too long ago. And uh, the one that won out of all the whiskeys we tasted that everybody voted highest for was uh, Suntory uh, Hibiki, it's called. Okay, so it is ja- so marketed good. as a Japanese whiskey. Oh, yeah. And you can yes. see, like, right here, I've got uh, Kayo whiskey, which is delicious. So uh, Japanese whiskey is is very scotch-like, typically, in character, which is... It looks super It's amazing. clean and, I don't know, I guess because it's so much clearer than the other. Don't others. you want to just open it and chug it? kind of do, but then I know what will happen, so... No. Yeah, and it is. It's very light, and that's a yeah. seven-year whiskey. So uh, Suntory, not only do they make, you know, whiskey, mm-hmm. Japanese whiskey, but listen to listen to this list of stuff that they make that everybody knows. They own Jim Beam, which is the number one best-selling bourbon on the wow. planet, which is crazy because bourbon is an American style of whiskey, and it's owned by a Japanese company now and has been for a little bit. Uh, they make Maker's Mark. They make Knob wow. Creek. These are huge brands. They're, they're Canadian Club. America, though, right? Yeah, they're still brewed. So wow. these were all these were all breweries that existed before they got bought out. But okay. Suntory bought every single one of them. Uh, huh. Laphroaig, that's a, a major scotch in Scotland, bought out by Suntory. Uh, Cavassier, Pest de Cavassier. I'm about to say, uh, I only know it from yeah. like music. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I thought that was pretty nuts. Okay. Um, so... Um, I just there was a couple other pretty interesting things watching that documentary. So uh, this is actually you really think this is interesting. I think Andrea, they uh, um, number one uh, the amount of women drinking beer in Japan versus men compared to like other countries like the U.S. Mm-hmm. I didn't look up exact numbers, but uh, they talked about it quite a bit. Um, way higher. It's yeah. very popular yes. females. Yeah, in fact, at one point, the guy, Smart. the guy's in some brewery, and he's looking around, uh, Rob uh, Labreglio, and he's like, 
there's literally like all women in here and you look around the brewery and almost every single person the whole uh brewery was a female drinking beer i'm like man all ages all ages too it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. So it's easier to pick up women at a bar in Japan than it is here? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> you walk into a bar here, yeah, it's... Bunch a bunch of, of dudes. Gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there were, uh, Great Dane Brewing was the name of the, com- the brewery that uh, um, that did the d- documentary uh, there in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so this is pretty crazy. Um, they, they, you know, we already know that they did these crazy tax laws mm-hmm. uh, in the past. Well, now they're they're doing some other unique tax laws where they're like, oh, we're going to tax the beer based on the malt content. Yes. You've I heard about this? I know about this. I'm like, what kind of crazy? It completely blew up like beer culture. Mm-hmm. So, of course, what do these breweries do, right? They're like, oh, we'll just put less malt and we'll just add other stuff. Ew. Yeah. And uh, uh, they call it... Uh, um haposhu have you heard of that mm-hmm. yeah which is like uh what does it, tra- it translates to something uh sparkling alcohol <laughs> no very strange i do not like that at all i know so they're like uh <laughs> if it's less than a 50 percent malt grain bill then you get charged at this lower tier um and then if it's so below it's below if it's below another i forget it was like in the 20s maybe uh or if there's no malt at all which can you imagine beer with no malt uh, they uh, they tax it even lower. So once uh, um, Haposhu became popular, they uh, it it became really popular, and breweries were just kind of like almost pushing legitimate beer to the wayside. This is still legitimate beer technically, but you know it's it's lame, right? I mean, I haven't had it. I really would like to try. I it. do. I want to. I try should it knock too. it. I should knock it. Maybe it's actually legitimately good. I know. I, I'm not gonna lie and say that I wouldn't have some but it's like uh really hard to tell um the difference between that and a real beer and i'm like that's so messed up man i mean you could be confused and yeah exactly the wrong thing and i don't know that's so sad yeah so (laughs) then uh it gets worse so eventually these breweries were like hey wait a minute there's this other lower tier why don't we capitalize on that so they made this uh this new drink i don't even call it beer called that it's called third beer uh, or like new genre beer. It's called Daisan no Biru. What is that? Did you, did you say Daisan is Japan? Yeah, but I don't know what that means. But I don't like that no Biru. It's like a Japanese not beer. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Not cool. So, and this, you know, it kind of makes me think of like seltzers, how they got popular here. No. You know what I mean? Everyone, even craft breweries are making seltzers now. But oh, yeah. Whatever. Yep. They, they are. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> to each his own. Sam Adams is making a killing. I'll tell you, my Sam Adams stock is through the roof. Are they making seltzers? Oh, yeah. One of the, one of the main ones. Dennis, can you look that up? One of the big ones is... is uh, um, White Claw? I don't think it's White Claw. What's that other one? Dennis will tell us. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's... There's but it's sales have mar- skyrocketed. It's not marketed Let's as Sam Adams. Way. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, Angry Orchard is Sam Adams, okay. and that's not... Uh, See, marketed that's oh, truly yeah. truly that's it truly I mean, I've, Sam had, Adams. I've had those i just i don't know i mean good for them they're they're it's it's a a popular brand right now yeah. or a popular style of what they want drink yeah and and they're marketing it as a, a completely separate brand which i think is smart yeah you know? yeah that's why i was like sam if adams you told me beer. sam adams seltzer was yeah. out there i'd be like oh no you didn't yeah but, okay i'm okay with it being called oh, no, no you didn't <laughs> uh so anyway, um, you know, the largest craft brewery uh, does about 40,000 barrels a year. That's the largest craft brewery in, in uh, 
uh, Japan. And if you look up like Sam Adams, what they brew a year, I mean. You said 40,000 what was the units? Barrels. barrels. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's, keep... it's, I mean, that's a lot of beer. Okay. And they're, they're called uh, um, Yoho. So oh. Sam Adams does about 3.78 million barrels. <laughs> okay. Compared to 40,000. Yeah. I mean, they're not even close no. to where we are Mm-mm. with the craft beer movement. You couldn't put there. that on the same graph. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> but, you know, uh, again, they're like where we are, where we were probably 15 years ago. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like, that excites me because that just shows there's so much room to grow, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like we've been talking about, that culture is more so. So they, they're they going to do so. something amazing. I just hope it's available to uh, us. Yes. And, and what's great is they don't have the three-tiered system, which is a huge problem in the U.S. And, and uh, things are a lot more open. So, you know, you could brew your beer and you could just get it, throw it in your truck and drive the kegs to a local bar that your friend owns. And then you can serve the beer and, and you don't have to worry about a distributor and all that stuff. Mm. It's so they they have more of the ability to grow that that uh, than we were than we had available for ourselves. Cool. I said that terribly, but you get what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, I think uh, that kind of sums it up. Um, I had a lot of fun talking to you today, I Andrew too. Uber. And I liked drinking the beer. It was amazing. The beer was awesome. Yeah, it and, was uh, so good. Maybe we'll do. Um, well, it's not beer, but I wanted to talk to you about their. Uh, their whiskey that they have that has the snake in it i think it's called haru oh i don't know have you seen pictures i've heard about it it's incredible i mean i haven't tasted it but it looks incredible do you eat the snake at the end if you want like a tequila worm (laughs) (laughs) that seems like a bad idea (laughs) well that was awesome david i enjoyed that because i mean i like japanese beer but i never really took too much time uh, looking into i knew about some of the those uh malt taxes and stuff but uh i'm happy my favorite part was trying new japanese beers oh that I've yeah never had before that's my that favorite aren't available at our you know restaurants and stuff so thank you for that of course awesome. i'll tell you i want to visit japan so bad after i had a lot of fun researching this episode i, I probably go. spent i'm not even kidding like probably 15 plus hours nice. watching stuff and reading things it's such an interesting culture even before the the beer part like just Japanese history. Yeah. Really, really interesting. They're pretty cool. So, anyway, um, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, thanks to Andrea for sure. hanging out with us and drinking. Anytime. Thanks, Andrea. Sure. <laughs> We've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we're putting together a Discord community, which you guys can be a part of. We can talk about beer or history or beer history or anything you want. Um, also check out our website which is www.thebeerhistorypodcast.com you can link to any of our social media there you can look check out our blog you can listen to our the music and our closing credits all kinds of cool stuff and most importantly references my favorite thanks for tuning in guys see you next time sayonara sayonara <laughs>
You've been listening to the Beer History Podcast, a Hop Stuff LLC production. For more information and references, visit our website, thebeerhistorypodcast.com.